All right, listeners, get excited. I am honored to bring to you the latest, greatest, news-breaking, earth-shattering information that we've ever had. If you're driving, pull over. I don't want to be responsible for an accident. If you're in a quiet little coffee shop, muffle your excitement. Don't want to disrupt others. If you're dropping kids off at the pool, please continue. That is an important thing to accomplish before listening to the entirety of the podcast. However, when you are ready to go and continue... Recent studies show that one out of roughly estimatedly exactly every one individual has a nervous system. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion podcast series. Paul, I have to say, that might be one of the greatest intros we've ever had on our 23 episodes. I try my best. Thank you. I mean, man, that was epic. Um, We're excited today to continue podcasting. Um, Paul and Sarah have been very gracious hosts, and today we are joined by one of our neuromusculoskeletal experts, Alicia Zugi Delaney. Um, So... As Paul alluded to, yes, every single person that walks through our doors has a nervous system. But wait, Dan, we work in an outpatient orthopedic setting. What? How is this possible? Wait, hold on. Yeah, we are in an outpatient orthopedic center. Wait, so are we supposed to address the nervous system? Apparently. I guess it's the rumor going around. Why? I don't know. We should probably ask our guest. Alicia, you're so young, but so wise enlighten our listeners on the marvels of connecting the neuromuscular system to the musculoskeletal system. Dan, thanks for having me. I don't know if I'm that young or wise, but I'll do the best I can. Are you old enough to drink? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Just kidding. So, let's talk about your journey a little bit. It's important for our listeners to understand um, a clinical path and being able to connect the neural population into an outpatient orthopedic center. So kind of give us a little bit of a, you know, kind of like our previous guests on your path and your journey and, and how you've gotten to where you are today. Sure. So my journey with neurological physical therapy started with a rotation in school. I had 10 weeks in an outpatient neuro setting. Uh, we saw everything from traumatic brain injury to spinal cord injury, brain tumor, uh, peripheral neuropathy, everything. Um, I loved neuro in that setting and was sure that that's the direction that I wanted to go in and basically wanted to get my last rotation of outpatient ortho over with so that I could move on with my neuro uh, passion or career. So I started my last outpatient ortho rotation at Spooner. and With probably two of the best CIs you've ever had in your life, me and Paul. Sorry, Jeff. I I won't confirm that. (laughs) Uh, And I realized that there was more than just neuro and ortho physical therapy. And there was a way for me to have have it all, have both of those things, incorporate neuro into my ortho treatment, incorporate ortho into my neuro treatment. Uh, And from there, I just sort of started to build that into my practice. And now, three years later, I have about 40% true neurologic patients um, and 60% quote-unquote orthopedic patients. Though, like Paul mentioned, neuro patients are ortho patients. Ortho patients are neuro patients in my mind. God, I can't believe it's been three years already. I had a lot more hair back then. 
You didn't have that much more hair. Well, that's probably true. Um, okay, so let's talk about this for a little bit. <clears throat> Where'd you start? What what diagnosis did you seek out when you started practicing in, in a mainly orthopedic setting that you said, you know what, this can work in our setting, this can work in our environment, and, and this is something that I know I can be successful with? Well, I started with mostly Parkinson's disease because I had a little bit more background in Parkinson's. I'm LSVT big certified, um, and I had more experience working with people with Parkinson's. Not to mention Parkinson's is so prevalent that a lot of my patients, you know, had orthopedic issues and were coming in to see an orthopedic physical therapist anyway. So those, those people with Parkinson's are you know, pretty prevalent in the community and they have other orthopedic problems that brings them into our clinic, you know, anyway. So let's start to make that connection for our therapist where you said, you know what, that, that person that's walking into the door has quote unquote an orthopedic condition, let's say a total knee replacement, but they have an underlying condition of the degenerative disease of Parkinson's disease. So what were your next steps when you said, yeah, you walk in, you've got a total knee replacement. I'm going to work on that. But what are the components that also need to be addressed in that patient that has underlying Parkinson's disease that kind of took you to the next level? Well, first of all, even if a patient that had a total knee replacement does, doesn't have Parkinson's, even if we're just talking about a normal, healthy individual, there is still a significant neurologic component to that total knee replacement. Even though we think of that as a very common orthopedic diagnosis, anytime we have that much joint trauma, we have decreased proprioception, poor balance, motor control is impaired, all of that's already involved. Someone with Parkinson's is going to experience that on a magnified level. So they're going to have increased difficulty initiating motion. They're going to have increase in, in shuffled gait mechanics. All those symptoms that would normally occur in Parkinson's are magnified after a surgery and any kind of downtime or rest. So let's go back to a comment. You said that <clears throat> even those patients that walk through the door that have no history of a neurological disease or condition we still have to address their neuromusculoskeletal system through balance, proprioception, kinesthetic sense, um, safety, posture, and balance. Hmm. Sounds like a previous podcast that Paul and I may have done. Um, <clears throat> I think that's a, that's a missing link that our academic curricula has failed us on of, of bridging those two things together. Um, and again, that's no knock to the institution that three of the four of us, five, four of the five of us went to in this room. Um, sorry, Creighton. But uh, can you kind of make a connection again for those listeners on, on how you started to integrate and that understanding of, look, every single patient that walks through my door has a need for me to treat them as a whole assess all the components that they have going on, not just what is their knee extension and knee flexion and their knee strength, uh, inflection and extension, and that's all I care about. Well, to me, it's it always kind of makes the most sense if I think of it as kind of a timeline. So my patient, back to the total knee example, that person's got to get range of motion back and they have to get strength back. And that's kind of what most people think about after a total knee replacement. But to me, you start with that range of motion. As soon as you have that back, not only do they need strength, but they need, what do you do with that range of motion? They need the motor control within that zero to 120 degrees. Just because they can, you know, get 
to zero actively and they can get to 120 degrees actively does not mean they can appropriately get on and off the toilet. Just because they have adequate quad strength and glute strength does not mean they can adequately get on and off the toilet. We have to train specifically within those functional tasks. And a lot of orthopedic therapists do that, that type of thing regularly without really thinking about it as motor control, but that's really what it is. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that goes back to the very first podcast that Therapist in Motion ever, ever released, which was our stability and mobility discussion um, with Andrew Walquist, Tim Spooner, Paul, and myself, where we really got into that component of, well, what's their total arc of motion and can they control that total arc of motion? I think that's something that is very underutilized in our profession and something that we struggle to connect the dots across the board for, for our people. So it's very enlightening for for me, for Paul, um, to hear our younger therapists start to make that connection, whether it was due to experiences like you had, where it was a combination of, of, of high-level effective neurological care combined with high-level effective orthopedic care. As a student, you saw two of those rotations. You said, wait, I can start to blend those things together. And, you know, I do have to give a little shout-out to Jeff Ocrier because, I mean, Jeff is pretty brilliant and probably helped path pave that path for you together. Um, very specifically. So Alicia, given your previous path that you've gone down and your experiences, where do you find yourself currently? What does a typical treatment approach or session look like? Well, with all my patients, whether they be traditionally neurological patients versus orthopedic patients, um, my treatment session consists of some manual therapy, particularly if they have a true mobility deficit, even in someone with Parkinson's, they have, they have mobility deficits, you know, thoracic spine, lumbar spine, transverse plane limitations. So sometimes that does, you know, involve some manual therapy on my end, but more often than not, my therapy's hands-on, but it's more related to motor control. So I'm working on PNF patterns. I'm working on resisted gait. I'm working on facilitating a motion for a transfer, things like that with some higher level patients that might look more like um, you know, facilitating a, a golf swing or working on running gait, things like that. Now within our clinic, we don't have certain things like a light gait or some of your more traditional uh, outpatient neuro tools. Do you find yourself limited or what do you typically tend to utilize to make sure you're maximizing the patient's benefits? Yeah, Paul, that's a great question. There are some patients that, you know, it's just it's just not appropriate to treat in a particular setting. There are patients that if they have that much difficulty coming to standing, maybe this isn't the best setting for them. We don't have parallel bars. We don't have a light gate. We don't have a standing frame. So some of those patients that really require that level of care, um, I end up referring to a specific facility. Uh, but for the most part, I think a lot of my neuro patients really appreciate being in a facility that is a little bit more open, a little bit higher level, surrounded by people who are getting better because they're getting better too. And it can be a little challenging as somebody with a, uh, you know, higher level of function as someone with a neurologic disorder to go into a clinic where everyone's functioning at kind of a lower level than them. So I think there's actually something to be said for being in that type of environment where we don't have those sort of things um, that brings a sort of positive aspect to that treatment. That makes a lot of sense. And like you said, they are getting better. I'm just kind of curious to hear your thoughts. You always hear the magical, mystical one-year wall for most traditional neurological diagnoses where you expect progress at this point. Whatever you're at, that's likely where you're going to be. 
how do you combat this or do you feel the need to combat this? Where do you fall on the lines of expectations and improvement for individuals? So obviously we know that people with particularly a neurological injury, like a traumatic brain injury or a stroke, those, those types of diagnoses typically do have the most um, room for improvement within the first year or so, or even up to five years. However, you know, I've seen a lot of progress from people that are five years, 10 years, 20 years post-injury. Um, neuroplasticity, we've, we've shown over and over again in research that neuroplasticity occurs in a healthy individual. So I see no reason why the brain could not continue to change and develop and, and meet new goals and new expectations long after an injury has occurred. And you touch on a really important subject there. Like you said, there's no reason the brain can't continue to adapt and learn and evolve. And too many therapists might ignore that piece of the picture and don't, you know, oh, no, they're not going to make the improvements. You don't want to discount or write anyone off for the potential, especially as we learn more about the brain and how amazing it is to adapt to this, whether it is an orthopedic issue and you're relearning different processes or different movement patterns or a true neurological condition where you need to continue to develop and go. You, you can certainly make these changes. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there and try but put yourself out there and try. You need certain tools to do so. What do you think as far as a Con Ed path or a course you might have found great success merging the two? And nothing deep, but where do you like to start for an individual looking, learning more that might be missing a piece of the picture? I think the best and relatively short course that I have, have gone to that sort of blends the orthopedic and neurologic worlds uh, was the Institute of Physical Arts PNF course. Um, they really take the applications of PNF from neuro to ortho and back again to neuro. So I think that that would probably be where I'd start. So you talked a little bit about some of the techniques that you utilize for success. And we talked a little bit about the duration of time. You can still make great improvements with it. Do you have any particular stories or patient experiences that really tie these things together for listeners to hear the, the success that is possible with these individuals? Sure. Just right now, I'm treating uh, a patient who is almost two years out from an incomplete C4 spinal cord injury. Um, he has tried traditional neurotherapy in the past, and he made improvements, but he was kind of seeking something different. So he came to see me, and we've been working together for a few months now. When he first came to see me, he was requiring moderate assist of two people to get out of his wheelchair. Um, which is pretty high surface too. Um, so functionally very limited. At that time, he had significant hip contractures, did not have adequate dorsiflexion range of motion. So on the ortho side of things, we've been working to restore normal mobility through manual techniques, stretching, um, all of those types of things that you would typically do with somebody that has limited uh, joint mobility. Now, from a neuro side of things, uh, we've been doing a lot of gait training, PNF, contract relax techniques. We've been doing um, combination of isotonics to try to regain some of that motor control. And now, just today, he was able to perform a, actually not a sit-to-stand, about 20 sit-to-stands from a low mat table with no hands, independently. Um, so just kind of blending those things together has been a really successful approach for him and a lot of my patients, I think. That's awesome. And it's, it's funny and I don't mean to downplay it, but it just, it seems so simple and it makes so much sense. I mean, you have an individual that has 
impairments in front of you and you treated them, whether it's orthopedics, neurological, and then retraining all of them, you looked at the movement and you addressed it. And exactly what we're supposed to do as professionals. Just sometimes we miss and put up too much barricades of thinking outside of our typical box, willing, willing to learn there's a lot more to the body than just like first meet the eye we first went to. And we need to continue learning and developing across all spectrums as long as we're professionals. So Alicia, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing some light. And hopefully everyone listening got a little bit of interest and a little respect for your neurological uh, <coughs> component to orthopedic patients and vice versa. So again, if anyone has any thoughts, please reach out to us at therapistsinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Otherwise, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.